Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. Ah, how's everybody doing today? Good. It's so good to... There's Cameron again. No, it's my turn. It's my turn. All right. Uh, <laughs> So it's really great to, to, to be with you guys again this morning. I think it's been like a month since I was here. It's been a crazy uh, season. We've been spending a lot of time in, in Vandalia over the last uh, few months. And so it's going really well down there. Things are really happening. There's, uh, we're, the, the church is growing and we're getting more and more people plugged in. And, and uh, because of you guys' you know, financial support of the church and your encouragement and your prayers, we are really, I believe, making a significant difference, a significant impact in Cass County. Um, and so that has been really, really great. And uh, so, for as many of you know, I oversee the children's ministry up here in, in Kalamazoo, and but with me being gone so much, it's really been the amazing group of Sunday school teachers that we have here and the, the nursery volunteers that have really allowed me the flexibility to, to pour into Vandalia as much as I have. And so I just want to say thank you. I know probably all of them are teaching right now, but I am just so grateful for the Sunday school teachers and the nursery workers that we have here in Kalamazoo. It makes my life so much easier. So thank you, all of you. If you're listening to this sermon, I am thankful for you. All right. Um, not you guys, the teachers. I'm also thankful for you guys. So, um, sorry. So, I don't... About six... Man, I don't even know how long ago. It was between six months and a year ago. Um, I had an iPhone 4. Familiar with the iPhone 4s. And I was really happy with this phone. I got it... Um, I worked at Fox Brothers at the time, and it was the, the company phone, uh, and it was great. I was really excited, right? With, a, with the iPhone, I moved up from the Nextel flip phone. Does anybody remember the Nextel flip phones? Yeah, they were great, right? And um, so I gave up Direct Connect, um, right? And I gave that up, and I, I, I received the world of the Internet at my fingertips, right? I could be anywhere, and I can access websites and check my mail. And it's this amazing thing. The iPhone 4 was wonderful. Well, I've, I've got it for a couple years, right? And because I... It's a weird situation. I, I leave Fox Brothers. I start working at the church. Um, and somehow in that scenario, uh, Fox Brothers took my upgrade and gave it to somebody else in Fox Brothers, that was very disappointing, right? But, but uh, all right, this is but the, it's great. It's so much better than my my Nextel flip phone, and so everything's good. Well, Amber, um, it's time for her to upgrade her iPhone four. Great, and so we go to to the Verizon store, and. She, they kind of hand, we're looking at the phones, right? You're kind of walking around looking at the phones because you wait, I think it's three or three and a half hours before they'll actually help you at the Verizon store. So we're wandering around, you know, kind of justifying being able to purchase these new phones, right? And so uh, they come out, they help Amber. Amber's got this brand new iPhone 5. And it, in that moment, in that moment, I was like, I cannot be happy. If Amber has an iPhone 5 and I just have this old, terrible brick, this is practically a worthless item. I'm, this is disgusting. How can I enjoy my life if Amber is sitting over there just, you know, Googling 
happily on her iPhone 5. She's text messaging people, right? We don't know. It's just great. Life is so good over there on the iPhone 5. And even though I was completely happy, a couple hours prior to that, I said, you know what? I need to finagle this. I need to figure this out. And so I'm like, you know what? Emma... She's not got a very great phone. And you know what we could do? You, you, you're getting a new phone. We could pass her iPhone 4 or your iPhone 4 down to Emma. And she gets a new phone. It's great. She's on our plan. You know, it works out great. And you know what else? Josh, you know, he's in middle school now. He does things. He's got friends that he probably should talk to. Why don't I, I'll give him my iPhone 4. We'll add him to the plan too. Great. All right. So let's get the, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Now, I don't have a phone. Oh, what am I going to do? And so I, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bite the bullet, and we're just going to have to buy another phone. So, so we walk out of the store, the Verizon store that day, with two iPhone 5s and two new phones on our plan. Great. So just a few hundred dollars more than we expected. We doubled our plan, you know, but I had the iPhone 5, and I could finally be happy again. It had been hours since I was happy, right? And so I, so I, I embraced the phone, and, it's, and actually it's been a great phone. It's been, been a lot of fun, and I, I've, I've enjoyed it, and the kids are happy. Everybody's happy, right? Um, everything's good. And then, I don't know, it's a couple weeks ago, my, my mom, my mom's actually here this morning. Hi, mom. Um, my mom has had this terrible phone for a long, long time. No offense. And so she comes home and she's like, hey, guess what? I, I got a new phone. I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's the iPhone 6 or whatever. And immediately, though I was completely happy moments before, I see the 6 and I'm like, I have a piece of garbage. What is going on? How am I going to survive this? But... I've learned, I've restrained myself. It's been weeks and I still don't have an iPhone 6. So it's, it's been tough. I saw Peter Webb has one uh, and he was using it the other day. I just avoided him. So that's how I'm coping. That's how I'm coping with it. So if you have an iPhone 6, just stay away from me uh, until my renewal comes up. So anyway, so what, Mark, what's your point? Why are you telling this story? I don't know. I thought it would be funny. But it kind of illustrates this idea, right, that we can find happiness in things, right? We find happiness in things or we find happiness in our circumstances. We find happiness in, in how we view ourselves compared to other people, right? And so what I want to talk about this morning is that when the, the gospel writers and the, the writers of the New Testament epistles, when they talked about joy... When they talked about joy, they weren't talking about this fleeting happiness that maybe we can think of or we can uh, try to hold on to by getting the newest gadget or getting the newest car or getting the newest phone or making sure every, if we, we look good in front of everybody, right? It's that happiness, that material stuff and in the, our circumstances in the here and now, that is not where we can base our joy. We shouldn't be basing our our joy and our, our happiness in those situations because that stuff is fleeting. You know, if we are, we pride ourselves on our, our good looks and our physique, you know, that is not going to last forever, right? If we uh, value ourselves because we are the, the best and the greatest at this or that, you know, somebody sooner or later is going to rise up and take that from us. Right? And so our joy, as we're going to look today, it needs to be based in the, the reality that God the Father loves us. 
that he is passionately, incredibly, excitedly in love with each one of us. And we are going to look at the the story of when the angels came and announced the good news of great joy to the shepherds. And we're going to kind of look at this idea that the the joy uh, that the angels promised, right, the joy that the angels were announcing to the shepherds, it didn't change their circumstances. They're still shepherds. They're still hanging out with sheep, right? They still have bills to pay. They still have wives and kids and they have stuff going on, right? It didn't change the immediate circumstances, but it was this promise of this revelation that their hope that they had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for the return of this Messiah. Right? It was this revelation that God the Father loves them so much that he is sending his son to prove and to make a way for us all, for them all, to be in eternity with God the Father, to reveal this hope to them. And it's this everlasting hope, this eternal hope that should be the basis, should be the foundation of real joy. All right. And so if we are going to be ambassadors, we're not talking about ambassadors. Hey? We're talking about building bridges. If we're going to build bridges, if we're going to extend the, the kingdom Right? That's what we're talking about this quarter, the E of the fire values. I know that a lot of you are probably going to be really excited when you come to church next year, in, or next week and next year, next year and next week, and not have to recite the core, the fire values again. We're, you're ready, right? You've, you've, you've gotten them all, right? Fire, Father, Father's heart, intimacy, restoration, and finishing up today with extending the kingdom. And it's this idea of restoring our hearts. Restoring our hearts that we talked about for three months a little while ago, um, that uh, we don't, we have to remember the truth that our joy, that our happiness, that our peace can't come from within us, right? It can't come from our spouse or our friends or the phone we have or the car we drive, right? We get healed up and we go, oh, I'm putting all my trust in this stuff that's fading away. I need to learn to put my trust completely and fully in Jesus Christ because it's only there. That is the only foundation with which real lasting joy can be built, right? And my favorite definition of uh, spiritual transformation is this idea of being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. We spent three months talking about restoration because we need to be whole. We need to be healed up. We need to believe the truth and be founded on God so that we have something of value to offer other people. You know, if our joy is kind of consumed with who I am and what I've accomplished and what I own, then what do we have to offer people? Right? We need to know joy, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what situation, regardless of our health or the health of our marriage or the health of our kids or whatever it is. We need to have joy in this hope of eternity. And that is what we're going to talk about today. All right. And so let's turn uh, together to Luke chapter 2. Um, this is a familiar story to most of us. Uh, it's, a, it's Christmassy, but we're still real close to Christmas, so it's going to be okay. So in Luke 2, chapter 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So good. And what we're going to focus on here is in verse 10, that the angels came and they brought good news that caused great joy for all the people. And so, like I said, this joy that the the, that Luke is talking about here is not a fleeting emotion. It's not based on our current situation. It's not based on everything going well. This joy is in the arrival of the promised Messiah. And we learn here that our joy doesn't come from what's happening around us, but our hope is in our joy is in this eternal reward, this eternal destiny. And we can even see this truth being played out in Jesus' life. Right? We see Jesus, he's on his way to the cross, and he is not happy. He's not in a good he's not well, he's not in a good place. He's not happy, he's not high fiving the disciples, being like, Oh, it's gonna be great getting up on that cross. I can't wait. Whoo, let's do this thing, right? We see him in the garden and he is in agony, and he's like, Father, if there is any other way that we could accomplish this, will you take this cup from me? We take this cup. We see him in agony, sweating drops of blood. He doesn't want to have to go through this because it's horrible, right? He's about to get nailed to a cross. It's terrible. But then this is what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Wow. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we can see in Jesus that his joy certainly wasn't on the cross because he wanted to not do it if he could do it, if he could get away with it. But he was willing, not my will, but your will be done, he said. But his joy was what laid on the other side of the cross, right? When he endured it, he knew what was waiting for him. And so his joy was based on hope. Even Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, his joy in this life was on this hope that came after the, the crucifixion, that came after the resurrection, right? He had hope in an eternal destiny. And so for Jesus, his joy was not based on his circumstances, And in the the New Bible Dictionary, I think this is a a great uh, definition of joy. It says, joy is not a fleeting emotion. It is a virtue that we can and must cultivate in our lives. It is a quality grounded upon God and derived from him, which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and anticipates eschatologically the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's so good. Joy is a virtue that we need to learn to cultivate in our lives, that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to to bubble up inside of us as we hold on to the truth that God loves us, that he is for us, and that we have an eternal hope. And anticipates eschatologically is just this fancy way of saying we're really looking forward to when Jesus comes back. 
and restores all things. And we get to spend eternity in the Father's presence. It's going to be so awesome, right? That is where our joy comes from. Not from our things, not from our circumstances, right? And because of our hope, we have this joy. And the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus is the bedrock of that hope. It is the proof, Jesus' arrival is the proof that God the Father is passionately in love with us and wants to restore things to how they are supposed to be. That is the proof of God's love for us, the arrival of Jesus. And it is this promise of love, this promise of acceptance and restoration that gives us joy, right? Have I, have I beat this to death yet? The, the shepherds' situation, their circumstances didn't change. The angels show up and they, they announce that, uh, here's some news of great joy. And so they, they head out, right? They go and they worship uh, Jesus. They find the, the Messiah. Awesome. This is great. And what do they do next? They probably go back to the field. They probably watch some sheep. They pay their bills. They take care of their kids. They do the same stuff that they did before, right? The circumstances of their life didn't change, but this promise, the arrival of the Messiah gave them hope, and they were able to hold on to that hope, which gave them joy. And that is what we are looking for, right? And so even though our circumstances might be tough, right? We maybe, you know, we've lost a job or... Our, we, our health is failing or somebody we love's health is failing or our kids are kind of, we don't, they're wandering off doing who knows what. Like there's stuff going on and it is hard and it is difficult. But when our hope isn't based on our circumstances, when our hope is that God is in control, there is an eternal hope and my joy is based on that. It's being joyful in the midst of those difficult circumstances that people will look at us and go, what is it? What is it about them? And it's when they look at us and they see us reacting this way that they'll see Jesus in us and they will turn and glorify God because of it. And even though it's so difficult, it's so difficult to walk out these circumstances and we can question, God, why did you do this? And why does it look like this? And you could snap your fingers. You could change everything. You could make my wife love me. You could make my kids come home. You could heal the cancer. You could do anything, right? Why don't you do it? We don't know. Right? But we know We know that we have an eternal hope. We know that we have a Father that loves us, not because of our current situation. We know that we have a Father that loves us because He sent Jesus Christ to come into this world and die for us so that we could be set free from the penalty of sin and death and that we could spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And so our circumstances cannot dictate our joy. And the, the, another thing that we learn, we're moving to point two here, the, another thing that we learn from this story is that this announcement of great joy wasn't just for certain people. This announcement of great joy wasn't just for the, the religious elite or the, the rulers or the rich people, right? It is for regular, normal, common people. We see this because it is to the shepherds, Right. The working class guys that the, the angels come that God says, hey, angels, let's go announce it to those guys first. 
Right? And, and that is significant because there's all these other people that maybe it would have made more sense to announce this, uh, this news to them first, right? If there was a, a test, say there is a test and, and little Jewish people, <laughs> is there a word for little Jewish people? Children. <laughs> and there's this, so, so there's these, these Jewish kids, they want to, they're about to graduate from North Jewish Middle School, and they're about to, they want to get into uh, Jewish High, right? And so they have to take this test, and there's a test, and the, the rabbi teacher, the rabbi, comes to them, and one of the questions is, if God came to earth, who would he announce it to? A, the Pharisees, seems reasonable, B, the rulers, C, the rich and influential, or D, the shepherds. Ah, 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 the shepherds. That's crazy, right? We've all taken multiple choice tests, right? And the teacher will put one in there that's ridiculous. So it's like, well, now I only have to pick from these three what the right answer is. Because the shepherds, it doesn't even make sense, right? The Pharisees, they had been planning and working and expecting and getting all their doctrines and their ducks in a row so that they would be able to uh, greet the arrival of the Messiah who would put everything back together and would set the Israelites free from their oppressors, right? Or maybe he'd announce it to the rulers because they have so all this influence and this power, right? Or maybe he's going to announce it to the rich and the influential because they can send this message out and they have really achieved something because they've got a lot of money, right? And but that, or the shepherds, the shepherds didn't make any sense. They're just working class people. We don't know if they had their, their doctrines might have not been right. You know, there's a lot of fiddly bits to the law. And so they, we don't know. Yes, fiddly bits, it's a theological term. There's a lot of fiddly bits to, to the law, and those shepherds might not have known all this stuff. And so it's probably, let's announce it to the Pharisees. That makes sense. Nobody is going to pick D. Nobody is going to pick the shepherds. But God chose it. God chooses to reveal the announcement of the arrival of Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, to the shepherds. And by announcing it to the shepherds, he's saying that this announcement of joy is for everybody. It's for all people. It isn't about your works. It isn't about your position. It isn't about your authority or your intelligence or your ability. Right? It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's unmerited favor. It reveals a loving father who chooses us to be adopted into his family And we get to call him Daddy. That is what we learn when God announces it through the angels to the shepherds. And this message of joy, just like it was spoken to normal, common folks back then, right, 2,000 years ago, it's spoken to normal, common people like you and me today. This gospel, the good news, is proclaimed Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Anointed One, who takes away all of our sins and restores us into right relationship with God has come. Not to the religious elite, not to the seminary grads, not to the worship leaders, not to the people who have arrived, who have written books and have accomplished a bunch of stuff, not to the, the CEOs of big companies, not to the rich and the powerful, not to the governmental rulers, to normal people, to every single person, just like you, And just like me. 
And that is significant. So significant because we can often kind of tell ourselves, we can start believing that, oh, you know, I'm not valuable. I'm not impressive. I don't really have what it takes. You know, Jesus, maybe, you know, he, maybe he loves me enough to get me into heaven, but he doesn't really like me that much because I'm kind of a messed up dude, right? right? We can start to think like that. And it can suck our joy when we start putting our, our happiness or our value of ourselves on who we are instead of putting our value on who Jesus, who the Father says that we are. I've strayed from my notes, but fear not. Everything's going to be fine. That there is Wynton Marsalis. Anybody familiar with Winton? The great Winton Marsalis. He's a trumpet player. I couldn't find a, a picture of me playing the trumpet, um, so I just picked Winton because we were very similar. Um, yeah, just joking. Um, when I was in high school, I was a pretty good trumpet player. My parents uh, paid all through middle school and really all through high school for me to take private lessons, right? And so I took private lessons from Mr. Hewitt for many, many years, uh, right after school, and he helped me get a lot better. I loved it. It was great. I, I, was, a, I was a good trumpet player, and I kind of prided myself on my ability uh, to be a good trumpet player, right? I was kind of, I, I was proud of myself, and it was impressive, right? Um, and so eventually, when I was around 16 or 17, I outgrew Mr. Hewitt. And so we looked around and we found a, a, a lady who is going to be my new private lesson instructor. And I can't remember her name, but she uh, played trumpet in the Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra. And she was really good. And uh, so after school, I would get in my, my Ford Escort. It was a, you know, last sermon... Last service, I said that it was an 84 Ford Wagon Escort, but that's not true. That was the Escort I had before this one. The one that I drove to private lessons up on, uh, in Portage, was it was a gold hatchback. It was a Ford Escort. It was definitely an Escort. That's all I drove. It was a Ford Escort, and it doesn't matter. That does not matter in the story. But I was 16 years old, and I would drive my Ford Escort a half hour up to, to Moore's Bridge, and I would take these lessons. And I'm used to Mr. Hewitt, happy, fun, cuddly Mr. Hewitt. And I get into this uh, lesson with this new lady, and I, I'm warming up, and, I, and I'm, I'm playing whatever the piece is. And she's like, you've not been practicing at all. And I'm just like, well, you know, maybe I probably didn't practice a lot, but I practiced a little. She's like, this is ridiculous. It's not even worth my time. It's not even worth my time coming here. What is, what is going on here? And I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry. And so, so I started practicing, right? Or at least practicing more. Maybe not as much as I should. But uh, I started practicing more. In hindsight, I'm like, hey, lady, we're paying you like $25 for a half hour. So even if nothing happens, you should be happy, right? But that, that wasn't where, where I was at. In the, in the 16-year-old, I was like, ah, let's do this. And so I got, I got really good. And I practiced and I tried. And I was a good trumpet player, right? Sigo's not a huge school, but I was a great trumpet player. And I prided myself in that. And it was good. And I received all the glory that being a great trumpet player brought. There's probably no actual glory. It was all made-up glory. But I still reveled in my made-up glory. Right? Um, and so I'm a great trumpet player. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I was really good. Um, <laughs> the problem is, my best friend, Mark Morey, also a trumpet player. 
better, quite a bit, not significantly, but better than me. He was a better trumpet player. And you guys remember chair tests in high school and middle school? And you'd, you'd play, and then they'd line you up in however many. You're the best, you're the second best, third best, and so forth. And so we would go through these chair tests all through middle school and all through high school, and it was... Wow, time has really flown. Huh. All right. Uh, sorry. Uh, so we take these chair tests, and four out of five times, Mark Morey beats me. And it was very difficult, right? And so four out of five weeks, I'm like... He has stolen my place. He has stolen what is rightfully mine. That glory of being first chair is supposed to be for me, and he has robbed me of it. Right? Instead of saying, oh, my best friend, Mark Morey, and I both play trumpet, and we're both good, and we have a great time. Right? Like, in reality, that's how we should think. But my mind's messed up. I'm messed up. All right? And so I'm just like, oh, I'm so disappointed, and I'm sad, and I don't measure up. Because I'm second chair. And now once out of five weeks, I would get first chair and it would be like, yes, ladies, that's right. I am first chair. Come on. Yeah, you can sit next to me at lunch. No problem. Right. So and so I and so I get I learn that my identity. Well, I didn't learn it here. I probably learned it at some other point, but it was reinforced here that my identity is based on achieving on being number one. Right. And so this goes on. Eventually I get out of high school, praise God. And I'm moving on. This is, and so the continuation of this story, we jump forward a number of years. It was about 16 years ago. I remember this because Emma is in a, one of the, chair, a high chair, eating Cheerios, right? She's eating Cheerios and Herman is sitting there and Amber is sitting there and I'm sitting here and we're playing Monopoly. Um, And I remember, I, I remember very clearly rolling the dice, coming around go, and landing on Baltic Avenue. And it was at that moment that I lost it. That I threw the dice down and I stormed off. And I end up, I find myself in the bathroom and I'm crying. I'm like, I can't land on States Avenue. I, how, why did I land on Baltic? I can't roll dice. I'm not valuable. I'm a terrible person. And then it kind of switches from that to being like, this is just a picture of my life. I'm always second best. I, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to win. I'm never the best. And at some point, I go, well, that's an extreme reaction. <laughs> and... I'm like, wait a second, what is going on? What is going on here? Like, and I had to, this, this reaction, this like, I'm crying because I landed on Baltic Avenue. What is going on? It jolted me into looking at kind of the roots of these insecurities and looking at the roots of these worries. And so over the next couple of years, right, through some healing and restoration, through embracing the father heart message, I, I come to this revelation that it's not just who I am. It's not what I accomplished that makes me valuable. Right. My joy can't come on whether I win a game of Monopoly. My joy can't be based on whether I sit in that chair or that chair. Right. My that is I'm not going to always be number one. Right. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. Right. But if my joy, my happiness is founded in this truth that God loves me. 
that God is passionately, excitedly in love with me. That is something that I can securely base my joy on. And so the circumstance of what chair I'm sitting in doesn't really matter because I know that God loves me. And this stuff can still, it can still affect me in ways, but I've, I've learned to, to recognize these lies. I've come to learn to recognize these truths that try to come in and steal my joy. These things that say, man, that person's house is a lot nicer than yours. Oh man, you're right. Maybe I'm not as good as them. That's crazy, but we think it, right? Or like, Mark, if, you, if your sermon bombs, you're probably going to get fired. And then, then what? Then what? Then you're a failure in this whole last four years is is worthless, right? We believe that stuff, but now I can go, wait a second, that's not true, that's a lie. And I just reject it because I know that my joy is not based on my accomplishments, it's not based on my circumstances, it's based on the grace of a loving father who has called me his son. And it's this joy that surpasses our current situations. It isn't dependent on everything going well. Joy that comes from this hope and an eternal reward is joy that is lasting. It's this joy of learning that we are called the children of God and we can come to our Father and we can sit at His feet and say, Daddy, I'm feeling kind of down today. And He says, I love you. I love you so much. I don't care that you're second chair. It's going to be fine. And so, in closing, I just wanted to read uh, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. And it says, At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's a picture of of where we all have been. It's a picture of where we all were before the love of God got a hold of us. In verse 4, it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. He saved us not because uh, that we accomplished something or were the best or anything like that. He, 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 He saved us because of His kindness. Because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is the proof that God loves us. And then in verse 7 it says, So that having been justified by his grace, we have become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We've been justified by grace, friends. God chose us. He loves us. He's passionate about you and He's passionate about me. And when we get discouraged and we get worried because we see that life is not going like we expected it to. We see that, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that or, oh, what's going on in in my marriage or what's going on with my job or what's going on in this or that. Oh, God, why is this happening? We can think that, God, maybe God doesn't love me. But the reality is that he proved his unfailing love when you were still his enemy by sending Jesus Christ on earth 
to bear the penalty for all of our sins. He loves you. And you have an eternal hope, an eternal destiny to be with Him forever. And that is our joy. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have called us, that you have accepted us, that you have chosen us to be your sons and your daughters. God, and just ask that you would forgive us for trying to, to earn that love by works and scrambling to the top and trying to achieve and be the best. God, help us in this season just to remember that you love us no matter what, that you are for us, that you are with us, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And I pray that as you fill us with joy, as we stand on your promises and you fill us with joy, that we would be a light to a fallen world that we would be able to extend your kingdom, that we would be able to build bridges, that we would be able to impact our community as we live in the joy that can only be found in you. Thank you, Father. Amen.